Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 99. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have the 12-time IBJJF world champion, Gui Enugi Kayoterra. He is the founder of one of the most successful associations in the world, the Kayoterra Association. He shared about the early days of his academy, and my takeaway from the interview came when I asked him what was one of the biggest lessons that he learned from competing that he transferred to entrepreneurship. His answer inspired me to title this episode, Success Takes Sacrifice. The interview when I expand on the topic, Success Takes Sacrifice. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Oos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Caio Terra. Caio is a fourth-degree black belt and a 12-time world champion in both gi and no gi. He owns and operates the Caio Terra Academy in San Jose, California, and he's the creator of one of the most successful associations in the world, the Caio Terra Association. The CTA has over 50 affiliate schools across the globe and provides a world-class experience for all its members. Kyo is also the creator of Kayoteha Online, one of the world's leading online learning sites with over a thousand members. Kayo's belief is together with jiu-jitsu, we can transform the world around us. Kayo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me and um, special thank you to everyone listening. Yeah, so we're recording this during the quarantine, so it's a tough time for everyone. How's the dynamic in California right now? Yeah, here is pretty much everything closed. I think it, we're in the California is the most restrict uh, state, um, so can see things are going well. But you know, uh, praying that this will all be over soon. Yeah, hope so. So tell us, man. Just uh, just tell us how martial arts grew up in your life. Jiu-jitsu was. Did you train any martial arts? Any other martial arts before jiu-jitsu? I did train karate when I was a very little kid, but I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, how was the beginning? Of jiu-jitsu? Yeah. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that I was plan, planning to do. It wasn't something that I opted to do in the beginning. It was more like something that my mother kind of pushed me to do it, to save myself against bullies in schools in the mm -hmm. school uh, so in the beginning it was pretty tough because it was not my desire to be there 
as time passed and I realized how amazing jiu-jitsu is, then, of course, my journey became a lot better. And how old were you when that, that feeling started to change? When I first started, I was about 16, 17 years old. And um, I think when I was turning 18, you know, I was already 17, but turning to 18 was, you know, was, was a lot different. Mm-hmm. And looking all these years training, how do you feel jiu-jitsu relates to life? You know, so many lessons, but what's something that stand out to you? Um, I think there's a lot of lessons in jiu-jitsu, you know. I think being more patient is probably uh, the the biggest lesson that I took out of jiu-jitsu because you have to be patient the whole time, you know. Jiu-jitsu is a self-defense martial art. It's um, It's not something that is self-attacking. So you can't, you know, you, it's hard for you to, especially being a small guy, just to make the first move. It's easier, you know, to use leverage. And in order to use leverage, you're going to have to be patient, you know. And I think, I think a lot of times, especially in the quarantine, you know, I can't just open up or do whatever I want. You know, I have to be patient right now. I think if it wasn't for jiu-jitsu, I would be a, li- a lot more scared at this time. For sure. And when, when was the moment that you felt, you know what, I think I'm going to do this for a living, when you realized that you could make it a profession out of it? Um, to be honest, I never thought I could make it for a living. I was still going to college. And it, even when I was a black belt, I was going to college. And it was when um, I came to the United States and um, I got invited to teach at a school here. And in the beginning, I said I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna, um, I wasn't gonna come. You know, I, I, I just wanted to do the test to see where I was at. And my father pretty much convinced me. You know, told me, hey, you better go and just stay there for one year, just so you can practice a little bit more your English, because I actually spoke fluently before. I lived in Sweden for two years when I was younger, so I learned how to speak Swedish, which I don't know how to speak it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was fluently in English. And then as I went back to Brazil and for years and years, I didn't spoke anymore. Now my English is worse mm-hmm. than it was actually when I lived in Sweden. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's definitely a lot easier when you um, when you are learning it young, you know. Yeah. So what year did you come to the U.S.? I came in 2007, and then I came to leave around the end of it. The end of 2007. So so after that year, because you say for about a year, initially the plan was like, well, let's say for a year and, and see what happens. Yes, yes, exactly. So how was, what was the moment that was like, you know what, this one year, it's going to have to be extended? It was a very, a very hard for six months and I couldn't wait to go back, you know, and my teacher, I called my teacher, I would call my teacher, Paulo Mauricio Strauch on a regular basis, maybe once a week or once a month and talk to him. And at one point he answered the phone call. And I, I mean, I would call a lot of people from Brazil, you know, my friends were still in Brazil, so I would call my friends. But at, at a point, I called my instructor and he, you know, he has always been, it's, it's something that I always say, you know, like I have had many instructors during my jiu-jitsu career. 
and uh, a lot of them taught me a lot of jiu-jitsu but it was master strouch that actually taught me the my biggest lessons you know and it wasn't related always to jiu-jitsu you know but related to life and at that point when i called him you know like and i was here for about six months it was so hard he told me um hey so stop calling me i don't want to i don't want to hear from you anymore and i'm thinking that you know in the beginning like maybe it's because i betrayed him and i came here you know but like he never cared if i competed or not so it was kind of weird you know and i asked him but why can't i call you anymore he said you know what kyle don't call me and don't call anyone anymore even your parents you have to start distancing yourself from it you know you can't call anyone from brazil anymore while you're living there and calling everyone here you're just pretending to be living there you're still trying to live here so you have to stop calling me because you're otherwise if you call me you call your friends you call your family it you're gonna have that anxiety of coming back here and in the end you know what you're doing right now is much better you're living in a first world country you have to live there you know it, that's that's your future and even if it hurts me you know that you're gonna be away that's what's best for you so stop calling me and give you the chance to united states and that's what that's what i did i listened to him i stopped calling people in the beginning it was really hard you know i would tell people that and they were like yeah he's right don't call me either you know <laughs> and uh you know and as that you know like after a few months you know things started making sense you know i started making better friends in america you know i started seeing the american way a lot different than than i was before because i was started giving an opportunity to enjoy the lifestyle here which is completely different than yeah. in brazil you know yeah so I, tough love will, yes yes yeah. you're used to the co the culture in brazil you know you're used to to a certain culture and it, it's hard to change you know it's hard especially when you're you're older it's a lot harder for you to to change things yeah as you're describing this uh this experience it reminded it reminded me i was talking with a muhammad ali the jiu-jitsu black belt and he was saying that when he moved to the u.s he was doing the same thing he was always calling people calling people non-stop missing trying to live basically like two lives you know in us yeah. and in brazil and he said that he read a book it's, it's just relate to him the kind of the situation that i think he read mike tyson's book was a documentary or something and saying that when he got uh, he went to prison he'd be always calling everyone and doing this and that and then he realized that man i've been trying to live uh two lives what are you guys doing there where are you guys going all this and and to he realized you know what i have to do this time i have to do i have to focus on now they live the life that i have to live right now and then i go outside and he said that way just kind of hit him that that was like man i'm doing this i'm trying to live my life in brazil why i'm living here you know so that that book kind of gave that perspective to him and for you was you know your teacher that actually brought that you know what i mean and for sure it was tough love but that was a that was a good thing right for sure absolutely yeah and when was the moment for you to actually looking into opening a school so what year was that 
When I opened my school, it was, I think, middle of uh, 2011. And um, I had worked at, in many academies here, you know, all linked to Caesars, mm -hmm. you know, uh, main academy and then at his affiliates. And as I went by, you know, some of the academies grew, some of the academies, you know, stayed the same. And I would look into the, the problems and solutions, you know, that made those academies work because not all of them I had full power to do whatever I want, you know. Mm -hmm. And because I couldn't, you know, and, and, and again, the more people we have in the academy, the more, you know, the more we can actually change lives, the more we can actually um, give, you know, what we were meant to do, you know. And I know that all the instructors, all the black belts that teach classes, they're a lot happier when they have like a bigger class than when they have a small class because they feel like, okay, I'm doing my job right, you know. And and I felt that the 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 programs could have grown, you know, in a lot of the academies. And I just didn't feel that I had the power to change because it was not my school, you know. And I wanted the academies to grow. And sometimes I wanted the academies to grow more than actually the owner. So it was then that I said, you know what, the only reason, the only way of me actually making something bigger, if it's, you know, if, if, if I'm the one in, in charge, you know, and that was the only way to do it. So that's why I opened my academy. I still, I was, at the time, I was still teaching. When I opened my academy, I was still teaching at uh, a couple different academies, you know, um, which slowly I started, uh, you know, as a new instructor would come in, I slowly would start phasing out just so the students wouldn't, you know, suddenly quit. You know, it's, it's it's always hard when you change instructors. You know, it's it's always hard when you change instructors. People are used to one style of teaching and then goes to another. It, you know, sudden it's not always the best for the school. And I knew that, so I tried to phase myself out slowly. And how was the mindset back then in 2011 as far as going into start a new venture business in I mean, when I started, it's not like I went to business school, you know what I mean? Like, and you're the same, you just kind of learn as you go, you know, you start in the school, but you have not, um, you don't know much what's going on. You know, yeah. this is the reality. But so the, how, no, how was that? No, the reality is not that. The reality <laughs> is any school you do, you yeah. learn more on your job than actually, you know, at yeah. school. That's the reality because... Yeah. I went to business school. <laughs> so it's a lot different, you know, when you when you have to run a school rather than, you know, because it, it, again, when you are building something from scratch, when you're first building, you know, you are everything. You're not just a business owner, you're not just a teacher, you're not just a front desk person, you know. If the cleaning person is missing, you're the janitor that day. Yeah. But someone has to do the job. You know, so you so you have to get used to to labor that maybe you you weren't before, especially if you're used to be a, a teacher as a contractor. You know, if you're you know contracted to teach classes, you're probably not cleaning the mats. You know, but in the moment that there's no one to clean the mats, that's that's your job, especially when you first open. You know, later on, of course, you might have multiple employees. You know, uh, uh, but 
in the beginning, it's all up to you to make it make it all happen. Yeah. Did you have any employees right uh, right at the beginning? No. I did. I did have a lot of employees. You know. Um, in fact, the academy. I when I opened up, it was already eight thousand square feet. You know, and I didn't open anywhere near any of the schools that I was teaching before because that would not be right of myself to do so. You know, I opened like at least an hour away with no traffic to the closest school, you know, that I was teaching at the time, you know, with traffic, it's like hours. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I started from this, from zero, you know, I started from zero students. And, um, and uh, so my bills were pretty high at the time, but I still had a lot of people, but you know, when you, when you have a lot of people, sometimes you're not paying what, they actually deserve some of the people were not getting paid as much as they actually, you know, needed for a living. So the job that they were doing was not as great, you know, because they felt that they were underpaid, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, of course that eventually I started paying people more as I would get more, you know, because yeah. even, when I, even when I started making a profit, I never actually took a profit. I always shared with my employees, you know, I always made sure to, let them get it all and I wouldn't get anything because my, my goal in the beginning was just to have a school and to, you know, to, to maximize it, you know, like to grow the numbers and, um, you know, uh, be able to share my jujitsu and my philosophy. Um, even today, you know, it, I'm, I'm, you know, I have other resources that I can make my income, you know, my school is, it, you know, before Corona, let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> but I still didn't really take any profit out of my school. I always reinvest on, on, on people. It's not even on other ventures or other businesses. I did that too, but I mainly uh, invested on people. You know, I invested on people because, you know, I believe that um, not that you will pay me off because most of the time I don't expect anything back, but I, I do believe that people will do the right thing and do that for someone else that, that, that is in need one day as well. So when you look from 2011 to now, what are some of the biggest struggles that you went through running the school? Because a lot of things that we learn along the way dealing with employees or maybe a marketing or something. What do you think? Is this. So I have multiple schools nowadays. Of course, that is, the San Jose school is my biggest because it's my first, right? By far my biggest. But I have multiple schools. And when I'm not at a certain location, it's not that the teacher doesn't teach right, but I think everyone, including the front desk or the cleaning people, they don't care as much, you know? Um, of course that, you know, that's not in it, like something that is for everyone. Obviously that some people do care, you know, and some people do their job, whether I'm babysitting or not. But, you know, in, in large majority, you know, when you don't have a manager in sight, I feel that, um, people are just not as motivated to do their job, you know? And, you know, I, I guess that's why the big corporations, all they, they all have multiple managers because, you know, even when we hire, you know, eventually we hired a manager and try to use that as, you know, but you can't have also one manager managing everything. You have to have multiple managers, each manager managing one certain thing. And, 
one manager to manage the managers mm -hmm. you know so 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 end up that that it's uh the jiu-jitsu to have a jiu-jitsu school is not as simple as it looks you know it, at a lot sure. of time expenses are are pretty high and that's why um uh you know i i, I do believe that jiu-jitsu has a big potential but at the same time because we're dealing with people you know and uh I, i think a lot of people don't you know because a lot of people in the beginning they they feel like jiu-jitsu is amazing and one day you want to be a teacher they look at the teacher and they feel like the teacher don't you know the, the, the job is easy but the job of being a teacher is not easy you know the job of being a front desk it's not easy you know greeting people is not is not easy because everyone has bad days everyone personally i have had many bad days you know and Sometimes you greet people on a bad day is a lot different than when you greet people and you're super happy, you know, and I understand that, but you know, it, 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 it's just, you know, uh, human communication. Sometimes it's, it's tough. So every kind of job is difficult and people believe, Oh, that job is easy. That one is easy. So that's the one that I want to do, but you shouldn't do that job because it's easy, but actually because you, you love it, you know, And that's the people that now I try and look, you know, I, I try to find the people that love their job, you know, like people that actually would love, not because it's easy, but because they would go there whether they were getting paid or not. And then those ones that actually love what they do, whether they get paid or not, those ones that you have to pay better, you know, so they can actually appreciate where they work. But the problem is it's not easy, especially nowadays, to find those people. You know, it's, it's it, a lot of people, they just want to work to survive. And in my mind, that's not the right concept, you know, because you have to look into the future as well, at least a little bit. I know that maybe tomorrow there will be no tomorrow, but, you know, if there is one, you might not have a tomorrow while everyone else will. Mm -hmm. Now, what did you say? It's some of the like the biggest lessons that not only jujitsu but the competition being a competitor taught you that you transferred to your entrepreneurship to run in your business thinking on top of my mind all these questions are not like the most simple questions because it's something that i have to research reflect. My, mm -hmm. you know reflect yes and um i think there's a lot of things that uh being a competitor, not being a competitor, but mainly being like a high level competitor mm -hmm. has taught me, you know, and I think maybe uh, the fact that, you know, you have to, to make sacrifices, you know, you have to make sacrifices and it's just like in business, you know, sometimes you're going to have to make sacrifices because the, you know, I think something that is on top of my head right now, you know, is you know, related to sacrifices is that, you know, as, as a competitor, a lot of times you're going to have to sacrifice your time with the people you love, you know, your friends, your family, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot of time while the, everyone is eating out, you're the one working out, you know, and while everyone is resting, you're still working out, you know, and while everyone roll five times, you're rolling seven because, you know, if, if someone that is a hobbyist can roll five, you should roll at least seven. You know, and things like that, right? And as a business person, there's a lot of sacrifice involved, in, especially when, you know, it's, it's a little bit different than a company because a lot of the times um, in a company, you, um, 
you don't know the people, like you know the people, but you don't, you don't really know them personally. But in jiu-jitsu, people get really close to you. You know, yeah. your employers get very close to you. And sometimes they're not doing what they're supposed to because they're close to you. They think, you know, I'm his best friend. I'm his friend. I'm one of his best friends. So I don't, you know what I mean? He's not expecting as much as me because to, uh, of me because I'm his friend. So he'll never fire me. But you might need to. Mm-hmm. You know, you might need to. And, and, and that sacrifice, you know, it takes a lot on you. Because how can you fire your best friend? How can you fire one of your best friends? You know, someone you have known forever. You know, it, it's hard. But sometimes it's the right thing to do because it, in the end, it is hurting your, all the other friends. They are actually trying to build something, you know, because you're not building it just for yourself. You know, I, I know that you have a very successful gym in Arizona. And, you know, I know that you do a good job, like, giving back to, to not just the instructors, but to the community. And if your school is not working out, you're not going to be able to give back to others that, that also cares about you and that you care about them, you know, and it's because sometimes of one individual and the individual that, you know, should be the one that should be helping you because he's your best friend. He's one of your best friends. So he should be the one helping you instead of slowing you down, you know, and that sacrifice is, is hard. You know, it's hard because it, it takes time for you to reflect and realize that it's, it's that person, you know, and when you do, it's hard. How, how can you approach that person? You, you still want to be friends, but, you know. I understand. One of the concepts that I've I mentioned here a bunch of times that uh, there's a book that it's called Good to Great, which is an incredible business book. And my takeaway from the book, because I learned that's the biggest lesson that I got and I really use regarding to exactly what the scenarios that you just described. They talk they talk about the lesson of the bus. So the lesson of the bus would be something like this. You imagine your academy is a bus, whatever type of bus that is. And then in front, there's a sign showing the direction where the bus going, which then, which means that's your vision, where you'd like to your academy to, to get there. So in the book, they say before the bus even take off, that would be ideal. They say like three things need to happen. The right people need to be on the bus. Number two, the right people must be sitting on the right seats because sometimes you may have a great adult instructor, mm-hmm. but you put on kids and or vice versa. And then like yeah. he's supposed to be on a bus, but just in a different seat. And the third one, that's the most challenging one is if the person after you make the adjustments, you change seats and they're not aligned with the vision of the bus, they must leave the bus. Otherwise, how the bus is going to get there, you know what I mean? Everyone needs to... Uh, be a part and that is rough so one thing that I learned because I have compromised relationships like that with uh, friends employees because of that because I didn't know how to make make an adjustment of like for example you and your employee that maybe is one of your friends you have two hats with them you have your friend hat and you have your boss hat Mm -hmm. so I always go like um, if I'm going to talk with someone that is close to me, I explain every time, like, remember, I have different hats. Okay, I'm using the boss hat right now. There's nothing to do with our personal relationship at all. And unfortunately, years ago, I didn't have this clarity to separate. We end up just kind of like piling everything together. And that's when we end up having different falling out. So now I do my best to kind of like separate 
be as rational as possible so people don't take personal, you know what I mean? For sure. No, you're 100% right. The problem is you understand that very well, but you're also really good in business. But does, does the other people uh, understand? And if they do understand, do they actually play like they understand or do they play victims? And Oh, they- no. Uh, trust me. I have plenty of uncomfortable conversations. There is another book suggesting crucial conversations. I had uncomfortable conversations that that was presented and someone got fired. Mm-hmm. Straight up, if we're not on the same page, yes. it's not good. It's not good for both both parts, you know. And they definitely going to be happier in different directions. So it's not that I'm right, he is wrong, or he's wrong, I'm right. It's just where the vision is not aligned. That's all. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. So if the vision you have European, I have mine, no problem. And it's uncomfortable. But at the same, but at the same time, you know, because we're in a very niche market, mm-hmm. you know, we're in a very small business. You, you, you're not working with, you, 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 I mean, working that I mean, like, you don't have like a thousand billion, you know, yeah. uh, customers. You have, you know, 300, 500, maybe mm-hmm. at most a thousand customers, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's very, you know, that instructor, you know, that person, that front desk guy, that cleaning lady, she knows some people, you know, she, she knows a lot of your customers. Mm-hmm. So at the time that she says, you know, I'm, I'm the victim here, you know, I've been working as a slave forever, you know, or, you know, I have done so much for this person, you know, and they don't talk about how you brought them, you know, from, you know, pretty much misery where they wouldn't ever train jujitsu again, you know, but they, they, they speak more about, you know, how you could do that to them, you know, like they changed their life. They came from Brazil, you know, all the way here. Although they didn't want to come here, which I don't understand if they didn't want to come, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not talking actually about something that mm-hmm. I did. That didn't never happen to me, but I can see that in so many schools have happened, oh, yeah. you know, and so many schools have had in, in my first thought, you know, like because in the, in the school that I that, that I first started here, you know, at, at Caesars, um, I could have played the victim when I left, you know, but instead, you know, I, I was like, you know, he didn't do right for me. He, he wasn't doing the right thing. But but instead, you know, I said, you know, in the end, if it wasn't for him bringing me here, mm-hmm. maybe I would have never came to America. So I'm not going to play victim, open a school next to his and, you know, do all these shady things. You know, I'm going to do what I expect others to do to me, you know. And uh, fortunately, I never had someone that is, you know, left and, you know, try to convince everyone to quit or something like that. But I have seen it in so many gyms and people have, you know, messaged me so many times about it, you know. And it's something that is uncomfortable because... You know, like when you own a school, you know, I know a lot of business owners that owns a school, not because they they will make the most money out of it. You know, maybe if they open a coffee shop, they will make more money. You know, there are a lot of businesses that they will make a lot more money than jujitsu. It is not money, you know, and uh, it, it's their dream. It's their dream. And that's that that's the sad part about about the quarantine, you know, about coronavirus. You know, that I see, I see a lot of businesses will close, a lot of business. But it's not about closing their business, it's about closing their dreams, you know, mm-hmm. and, and shutting that down. And a lot of people, they don't realize that, you know, because one person hurt them, you don't have to hurt them back, you know. You, you just have to, you know, appreciate what 
someone did to you. And if they didn't do, you know, it, it will come around to them and it will come around to you too. You will, you, you will have better things. You will be in a better position than you were before. But uh, sadly, you know, a lot of the times people just, you know, try to, to play victims. And, you know, I have seen it many times and, you know, although I, I, I try to stay away, you know, it, it, it's not like I'm not known in jiu-jitsu, you know, it's a very niche market. So it comes to me all the time, all these stories. And I, I know there have two sides, but mm-hmm. it is, it is something that, that, you know, that, that, that worries me because some of these people, you know, it's, it's people that I used to, you know, people that I used to communicate, people that, that, that I, that I liked, you know, and, seeing that they could do something to someone, you know, it's not that I could be far away from it, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, but it's one of those things, the way I think of it's not just, you know, my side and the other side or your side, the other side, there's always, you know, the three sides, you know, the mine, yours and and the truth that usually is a combination of, of both. But man, I just, uh, since we cannot control what people are going to say, expectations, opinions, or whatever. You know, it sucks, but at the same time, I don't, it's just an opinion. I don't have to agree with them. And people may say whatever they want to say. And there's a phrase that I love from Les Brown to say, like, someone's opinion of you don't have to become your reality. So we don't have to accept no one. If you're listening to this and someone it's saying, oh, because you're this and that, Man, that's your opinion. That's how you feel. I don't have to agree with it. So when you have stuff like that happen, like, do can I control this? Can I change their opinion? No. So, okay, no problem. So be it. And then we all move on. And, and things like that wouldn't happen, Kyle. I just see that. I guarantee you there are, like, things that maybe happened in your school maybe five years ago that when it happened, it was like, ah, oh, man, there was an undesired outcome. But you look right now and be like, man, there was a blessing. It, it sucked when it happened, uh, so but times, right? yeah, th- this is in life, right? So, you know, so this is one, of, another one is just another experience that we all grow from it, you know, both parts. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's part, part of the deal, part of being a, an entrepreneur. Oh, for sure. But like, I, like I said, you know, I'm not even complaining really about myself. I'm really happy with the stuff that I have right now, you mm-hmm. know, you know, I think that. Yeah, but I'm saying you know, experience you know, overall that happened. I understand. Yes, exactly, exactly. Not just on my schools, but in, in, you know, like in schools that I have worked many times, you know, in in my affiliates, it happens very often, you know, because uh, uh, truthfully, you don't know the other person, you know, you don't know, of course, some people you have grown with, and then it's different, you know, but people that, you know, you know, sometimes you you're putting an ad to hire a cleaning person or, you know, an ad to to hire a front desk person, you know, and you don't know those, those people, you know, you don't know what they're capable of. So what do you say it's a habit that you practice daily in your life? That doesn't matter if jujitsu, life, business. Uh, I think my, my only habit is to, is to train jujitsu. You know, I, I try to train every day. Uh, when I'm traveling, it's a little bit tougher. So when I'm home, I spend all day at the gym. Uh, I wake up, come to the gym, leave the gym, and go to sleep. You know, and whether I'm training or you know teaching, uh, I'm at the gym. You know, working on you know 
any project that I may have, whether it's the gym or, you know, if it's social media or if it's my online school or, you know, any other project that, that I may have at the time. What did you say if you had a chance to go back in 2011 and have a conversation with a younger Kyle when you started the school? Not that you want anything different in your life, of course, but with the experience that you have and it could give him advice about the school and everything. So what would you tell him? I think uh, there's a lot of things that I could have uh, done differently, but the problem is that um, I don't know if, you know, obviously my school is a lot more successful today than it was before, but it doesn't mean that I got the right formula down, you know? So it, it's, it, it's weird for me to say, hey, you should have changed this earlier or that earlier because Because even if I did, it doesn't mean that, that changing, changing was right, you know? I think that um, uh, maybe one of the things that I should have done from the beginning is that I always tried and focused more on the advanced students as of me teaching, right? As of me teaching. Because I thought, you know, anyone can, you know, anyone can just learn the curriculum You know, any black belt, not anyone, but any black belt can learn the curriculum and, and be able to, um, to teach it, you know. You, you just have to put the time in. But the truth is that uh, in your business, I don't believe that anyone will do as good as you. You know, like no one will be as dedicated to and, and, and try to make everyone learn and, you know, really care as much as you do, you know. And, and people will but maybe not as much as you. So I think if I had changed the beginning, I would have focused more on teaching the white belts rather than teaching the, the color belts, you know, because the color belts, they already love jiu-jitsu. And the problem is that the white belts, they don't know what jiu-jitsu is yet. So, you know, I don't know if it's the right thing. It could be wrong. I could be wrong, you know, and, And I'm not saying I'm the best white belt teacher in the world. I'm pretty sure there are better teachers than me, you know. But I know that I do care, you know, and I do care about my students. So um, I think if I could have seen this earlier, is that I would try and teach more fundamental classes rather than, than advanced. Right on. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the interview. So for all the listeners, I know that some people might be listening for the first time. So usually what I do after the interview, I reflect on what was said and I create an audio from five to 12 minutes with my takeaway from the interview and hopefully inspire impact and or improve your life in some way. So make sure that you stick around after the interview. So Kyle, I know that right now it's tough to say, because I always like to ask, what are you currently excited about? And right now there's not much to be super <laughs> excited about. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, I have so many projects going into this, you know, it's, it's just hard because I, I actually I'm not talking about myself. Again, I am talking about everyone, you know, uh, and it doesn't relate just to jujitsu. A lot of people were like, man, I got I got this process down, you know, my gym has never been as big, you know, you know, but but the truth is, it's not maybe you were right. I think the economy was just too good. You know, the economy was was amazing. And You know, uh, people could afford jiu-jitsu, could afford to train jiu-jitsu. So more clients were coming in. And 
I invested a lot, you know, I invested a lot of money into, you know, like a, a couple months before in December, I started investing a lot of money. I, I, I upgraded my gym, you know, over 4,000 square feet and made the mats a lot bigger and my gym a lot nicer, you know? So I spent hundreds of thousands on, you know, on remodeling my academy and had to shut down, you know? So, so I, right now I just have to be patient and try to, you know, to look for the, for the bright side of things. Yeah, for sure. I believe we're going to overcome this for sure. I mean, the world has been through rough things before. This is something uh, different, especially now. I mean, it's so new and people still learn how to deal with it. But this you shall pass. We'll, we'll overcome that. So, man, I want to thank you for, for your time and congratulations on your beautiful career as a competitor, as a teacher, business owner. Uh, incredible accomplishment of having the CTA growing a lot and people believing in your work. So should be very proud of it, man. Great job. I, I really appreciate the kind words. Uh, it, it means a lot to me. And I, you know, I hope somehow I can, I can help the, the listeners. You know, I'm not the owner of the truth. You know, I can just talk, you know, of my own experiences. And uh, I hope that, you know, somehow uh, this, this can help people, you know, uh, if you had given me time to prepare, I would actually maybe respond things a little bit differently. I didn't even know that the interview was about business, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> finding out one minute before was not very helpful. You know, <laughs> I was preparing to answer jujitsu questions. <laughs> it's it's all good. I think you did pretty well, and people will enjoy. I have a lot of people from CTA listening, and they're gonna enjoy because that's something that you know sometimes we don't have a chance to share. In, in other podcasts so they will enjoy for sure so thank you so much man i really appreciate it thank you and uh, uh i know that we'll see each other around very soon when this is all over mm -hmm. yes sir and for all the listeners stick around for my final thoughts who's let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Teja. if you're listening just to the final thoughts on instagram at gustavo dantas bjj Kayo is a 12-time world champion in both Gi and Ogi and the founder of the CTA, Kayo Terra Association. He shared about the early days of his academy, and my takeaway from the interview came when I asked him what was one of the biggest lessons that he had learned from competing that he transferred to entrepreneurship. His answer was, you have to make sacrifices, which inspired me to title this episode, Success Takes Sacrifice. Regardless of your belt or age group in competition, success takes sacrifice. Now, imagine the dedication, the discipline, and the sacrifices Kyle made to win 12 world titles in the Black Belt Adult Division. Maybe you don't want to be a world-class competitor. Maybe you don't want to compete at all. But if you want to grow your business to an even higher level, you better have a world-class competitor attitude because, as you already know, if pursuing big goals and dreams are easy, everyone would do it. Sacrifice is a must. If you have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that oftentimes I share audios of successful entrepreneurs in high performance. And today, I want to share with you one of Gary Vaynerchuk's video about sacrifice. If you haven't heard of him, Google Gary V-E-E. -E. I've learned a lot of concepts with him. I highly recommend you look him up. Now, check out this audio. This is dreams we're talking about. We're talking about dreams. Right. 
so many people are asking me like, how, how do I live my dream, Gary? And you know, I don't have time. I have mortgages and bills and responsibilities in my job. I don't have time for my side hustle, my Twitch channel, my Instagram account, my Shopify store selling hoodies. And I keep getting to this new place, which is talk to me about your bills. Like, why'd you buy an apartment that stretches you? Why is your car so fancy? Like, why do you need the new Gucci every time? Like, why are you, why are you going out Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night? Like, why are you going to Coachella? Like, why, why are you going to Avengers opening night and buying the biggest piece of popcorn and candy? Like, the answer to all of your questions is not how much money you make or how much time you have, it's what you're spending your money on. Why do you want the newest pair of Yeezys? Why, why? entitled to your dream, you're not entitled. Nobody's entitled to be a, an amazing dancer. Nobody that, that tours the world and gets to dance and open for Beyonce and make 580 a year and fucking live it and go to fucking, you know, you know <laughs> Monaco on the fucking weekends. Like, it's not how it works. Everybody starts at zero. Some people start at different places. But anybody who does it for themselves has to sacrifice. Like, yes, like, move. Like, my city's expensive, move. Like, my car payments are high. Sell your car and buy a piece of shit car. Take the bus. This is dreams we're talking about. We're talking about dreams. We're talking about, like, I want to be a professional gamer. We're talking about, I want to get paid $200,000 to give a speech. We're talking about shit that isn't normal. Dreams require sacrifices. People don't want to sacrifice. Like some reason, DNA, parenting, circumstance, I'm on the extreme end of everything's my fault. Nobody owes me shit. I shouldn't get anything unless I bleed for it. It's one big framework, DRock, of like, of self-esteem, lack of self-esteem, slash insecurity, entitlement, or accountability, it's these huge things. I'm not judging people other than I'm asking people and I'm bringing up a different debate that isn't being talked about a lot, which is why do you want to go to Coachella? That's what I'm interested in. I hope you enjoyed the audio and I have a question for you to reflect on. What is one of the most meaningful accomplishments that you have ever achieved in your life? Did you pick one? Now, how hard did you work for the success? How perseverant you had to be during the process? And how much sacrifice was involved during this process? A time that you could be hanging out with a family and friends, but you're committed to your task. If these three words, hard work, perseverance, and sacrifice are not involved, Maybe your accomplishment is not that meaningful. What makes it meaningful is the fact that no one handled to you. You earned your success. Now, my question to you is, what are you willing to stop doing right now? What sacrifice needs to be made so you can get one step closer to your goal? Sometimes people get caught thinking, what can I do more? And maybe the answer could be in, what can I start doing less? Remember Tony Robbins' quote that I've shared plenty of times here? It's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. Make the tough decision to step up your level of sacrifice, even if it's 1%.
Sacrifice your time being on social media for 30 minutes less and instead listen to 30 minutes of an audiobook. You might not see the results right away. However, with a compound effect of small and big sacrifices, you will move closer to the next meaningful accomplishment you are striving to achieve. Os. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com. 